Well, welcome to Big Valley uh, Grace. Uh, all of you, welcome over in the venue. And I know I say it uh, every week, but I'm thankful for all of you that serve over there. Uh, welcome to all of you that are watching online, or maybe you're listening on the radio. We're just glad that you're, uh, you're with us the, this morning. Uh, before I get into the uh, message, what I'd like to do is just kind of unpack Easter for you, just, just for a moment. It's a pretty big moment in the life of uh, a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. I'm not sure if it's the, um, the greatest moment. I think we could argue whether Christmas, the day that the, you know, God sent his son to be born uh, as a human being, certainly is one of those great moments but Easter, the day Jesus walked out of the tomb, was one of the great moments. I want to talk to you about it. On your program, you'll see that we've made available for you all kinds of um, uh, pieces of art that you can put on your smartphones and computers and all of that. Um, and for probably most of you, just ask your children or your grandchildren to take your smartphones or whatever and have them do it for you, okay? Because I know some of you are going to get home and look at that and go, what? How does that work? But uh, it'd be a great way just to kind of get the message out of what's happening here at uh, Big Valley Grace at Easter out there. If you're a business owner, um, we have made these really cool posters. They're at the Information Center, and we want you to pick some up and put them in your windows. Uh, maybe you have a friend that owns a business. You could pick one up, two up at the Information Center, have them put them up. Expect to see one, uh, Gordon, you know, at the, the car repair place, okay? And uh, may, maybe the person who does your toes or cuts your hair, maybe you might take one and say, hey, could I put this in your window? It's our, our Easter services at our church, and we'll make that available to you. Inside your program, we've given you a couple of invites that you can hand to a friend, and it'll tell them a little bit about when our services are, we actually have five. We have Saturday night at four and six, Sunday morning at nine and 11, and then we have our sunrise service, which we used to do right out here underneath the cross. We're actually moving it back there because we just kind of ran out of space and the chairs are going over the hills and it's just all kind of a goofy thing out there. So our sunrise service at 6.30 will be out towards the prayer garden out in, in that direction. But without a doubt, the most important thing that we put in your, your program concerning um, Easter is this little prayer card. Uh, the choir, the orchestra, the bands have all been working really hard uh, to have a, a great Easter celebration. We're going to baptize. We always do that. And you'll see testimonies of people whose lives have been transformed because of Jesus Christ. And just a lot of energy goes into uh, making Easter special, and it should be special. But if we're not praying, that'd mean a whole lot. And this card right here is for you to put the name, first name of maybe a friend, a family member, somebody that you're going to be praying for. And uh, I want you, after the gathering, to go out to our prayer wall out there, and we took all the cards off of there this last week, and now they're just cards with first names on them. And the staff here at Big Valley Grace is going to spend time at that wall, praying for the people that are on that wall. Uh, I'll bet at least three or four times a week when I make my way through here, I'll stop at that wall for a few moments and pray over some of the requests. Now it's going to be names 
These are people that you're saying, Lord, I'm going to invite them to Easter here at Big Valley. And I just want to start praying for them now. Maybe it's somebody who knows the Lord, but for whatever reason, they've just gotten off track. And, and you want to be the, the, the tool that'll invite them. And so take advantage of this. Fill this out. Put it on that wall out there. And we'll just begin to, um, to be praying. Well, um, I've spent the last eight weeks talking about the importance of the, the Bible that this is uh, God's word to us as a church family. It's God's word to us as individuals. That those 39 books in the Old Testament, all of the authors were filled with the Holy Spirit in a very unique way, and they pinned the very words that God wanted them to pin. The 27 books in the New Testament, once again, the Holy Spirit came upon those writers, and, and God spoke to them through the power of the Holy Spirit, and they pinned the very words that God wanted them to, 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 to pin. This is God's word to us. It's God's truth to us. I'm often asked about what my vision is uh, for the church. In fact, I was asked uh, about two weeks ago, a magazine asked uh, me what my vision was for the church. <laughs> and I said, hey, listen, uh, I, I am a member of a church. I'm a pastor of a church. I'm an elder of a church. And pastors and elders and people of churches do not cast the vision for the church. God has already done that. God has given us the vision. In fact, Bobby, uh, during our offertory, shared one of the great visionary passages where Jesus said, go, go and make disciples. Baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach people to obey everything that I've taught you, you see. That's the vision. Acts chapter one, verse eight, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even the uttermost parts of the world. That's vision casting. All throughout this book, God has given us the vision. And what my responsibility is as one of the elders, one of the pastors, is, is to figure out how do we do that and different churches may do it different ways. But the bottom line for us is that God has spoken. He has cast the vision for our, us as a church and for our lives as individuals. And we just have the responsibility of, of saying, okay, God, you, you, you've set the vision. Help us to know how to best uh, accomplish the vision. Well. Uh, the eight weeks are over with, as we talked about, the Bible, the whole Bible, nothing but the Bible. And uh, I just began to pray and said, God, you know what, we got about three weeks before we hit Easter, and Lord, I, you know, I had something planned, but God, you know, man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And so maybe, Lord, there's something that, that you would like for me to share with the people of Big Valley Grace. I had something planned, I planned it a long time ago. But God, I wanna make sure that I'm, my hands are like this. I've planned, I've used my brain, 
but, but God, you, you direct my steps. And so I remember walking around this property, and oftentimes you'll see me, if you happen to show up here at any given moment, I'll, I'll be walking the property if the weather's nice enough, and, and what I'm doing is I'm just praying, just walking, just talking with the Lord. Could be something that's going on here at the church, could be something that's going on in some individual's life. Oftentimes it's just about, Lord, what it is that, that you would want me to, to say, and for whatever reason, after eight weeks of talking about the fact that this is God's truth to us, I was impressed with, with, with a thought. And that is, um, I, I, I wanna talk about our identity in Christ. And I thought, you know, I don't know if there's anything more important than really understanding what God's word says, his truth um, to us about us, about who we really are. I read this past week about this guy, it happened in 2004. He was in Georgia, there was a man in Georgia. He goes to a Burger King, and while he's at Burger King, you can go home and Google this, he gets beat up. I mean, they beat him to an inch of his life, they, they stripped him of all of his clothes, uh, and he was unconscious. Well, he wakes up in the hospital a few days later, and he's got amnesia. He can't remember anything about his life. Nothing. Doesn't remember who he is, where he's worked. He doesn't know, you know who his friends were, who his parents were. He has no recollection of his past. He has no recollection of what his future was supposed to be. None. And this went on for eight years. Nobody stepped up and said, hey, I know who this guy is. He's my neighbor or whatever. The FBI came and took his fingerprints, still couldn't figure out who he was. They did a DNA swab, nobody could figure out who he was. He actually went on the Dr. Phil show. And Dr. Phil did a whole program on him. Said, hey look, here's a guy, he doesn't know who he is, he has no clue what his name is. Doesn't have any relatives, nobody's claimed him, so to speak. Do any, is there anybody out there in TV land know who this guy is? And nobody called the show. For eight years, he had no identity, no clue who he was. Finally, somehow, some way, they, they found out who he was. His name was Benjamin Kyle. And um, as I said, you can go home and, and Google it. But as I thought about it, it blew me away. In fact, I was trying to imagine, maybe, maybe you have some fun here. You know, here you are, you know, you're at church this morning, and maybe when you're done, you, you get in your car and you go to Burger King. And while you're there, someone beats you up of an inch of your life, and you wake up and no one knows who you are. You don't even know who you are. You can't remember anything about you. You don't know where you live. You don't know who your job is or whether you even own a business. You don't know anything. You have no identity. I mean, how weird would that be? And yet, I was reading about a guy, and by the way, there have been many people like this. It just happened to be this guy, Benjamin Kyle. 
I mean, you get beat up, you go, you know, you, you wake up and, and, and you got no identity, no past, no present, no friends, no connection. Your entire identity has been erased. That would just be so weird. Now, as I read about this, I thought to myself, you know, that's exactly what Satan's trying to do to your true identity, Christian. He's trying to erase it. He doesn't want you to know what it is. And unfortunately, he's accomplished the goal in some of your lives. You've given your life over to Christ. He lives inside of you. But you really have no clue as to who you really are. Who you are in Christ and what I want to do to, today is this, is I want to talk a little bit about that. You see, here's the deal. There, there's a spiritual war going on over your identity. You see, Satan can't create anything, nothing. Listen to me. He can't create a thing. Only God can create. He's the creator. But let me tell you what Satan can do. He's an expert at perverting what God has created. He's an expert at distorting what God has created. He's an expert at, at destroying what God has created. So what he likes to do is, he likes to take what God has created for good and he loves to pervert it or destroy it or somehow, you know, distort it in such a way that we don't really under, understand it. Satan knows that if he can keep you from being you, who God made you to be, if he can hide your true identity, if he can distort your true identity, if he can destroy what God intended for you, I want you to know it's a good day for him. Because what it does is it just, it just keeps you really useless for the kingdom. Oh, your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. You're gonna go to heaven, but if you don't really know who you are in Christ, if you don't know your true identity, if Satan has somehow perverted it or dis distorted it or somehow disguised it from you, let me just tell you something, you're really kind of useless for the kingdom. And so what I hope is that somehow today we'd be able to at least look at a couple of things that God says about you. Really beautiful things. And for some of you, you know, you already know this, but I guarantee you it's been a long time since you thought about it. And this morning, I just want you to ponder just two beautiful truths, what God's word says about you. For some of you, maybe you're new in the faith or whatever, this is just gonna be a great moment where you learn truth for the very first time. Now, before I get into that, how does Satan do this? How does Satan go about uh, you know, from, from, you know, how does he go about goofing you up? Well, he uses a lot of different tools. L let me give you a few of the big ones, okay? Satan uses hurt. Satan uses pain. Satan uses the sorrow in your life to deceive you and distinct, you know, dis uh, uh, disguise what your true identity is. Pain. 
Something painful happens in your life. Something painful happens in your marriage. Something painful happens at your business. You see, when you're hurt or you're in pain or whatever, it's easy to become resentful. Easy to become, you know, bitter and angry. And when you're filled with these things, when you're filled with re resentment or bitter or anger, Satan knows that the chances are really good that somehow you'll forget about your true identity, who you are in Christ. Number two, Satan uses the media to deceive you and disguise you of your true identity. He loves to use the, the, the cover of magazines to deceive you. Interesting that Satan has somehow got the, the prime location. You know, in real estate, the three words, location, location, location. Satan has the prime location in every grocery store, right at the checkout stand. Where you got to stand there with your groceries and you got magazines on this side. You got magazines on this side. And they show you all these pictures of people. Beautiful people wearing beautiful clothes, beautiful hair, beautiful, you know, jewelry on. Just, just beautiful people. And there you have to stand for a few minutes walking through this thing and somehow you're bombarded with these photos. And Satan uses them to distort who you are, how God has made you. He loves using Hollywood to get you to think that what it portrays, that's reality. Number three, Satan uses the culture to deceive you and disguise your true identity. All, all around you, there are these messages that are constantly bombarding you saying, you should dress like this, you should look like them, you're never gonna have that person's talent, you're never gonna have their ability. Well, why can't you be more like that person? And once you got your mind there, wow, you lose sight of who you really are in Christ. But in my opinion, the greatest tool that Satan uses is he uses the opinions of other people to deceive you, to disguise your own opinion. In other words, you believe what other people say about you. Could be teachers that you've had. They said something to you and because they're a person of authority in your life, you believed them. You believe that's who you are. I remember I went to Fremont Elementary School and had a teacher. And uh, know her name. I remember the moment when she looked at me and said, Ricky, you're never going to amount to anything. And let me just tell you something. I was a handful. I... Uh, I, was, I was a bloody handful. Gone through a divorce. And I, I just made it very difficult for teachers to teach. <laughs> uh, there were a lot of kids in there that wanted to learn and stuff, and I suppose I did too, but 
There was just a lot of pain and sorrow in my life. I see her every now and then. But I still remember that moment. Maybe some of you remember a moment when a teacher or a professor or somebody said something to you. Your friends. You heard something that one of your friends said about you. In the generation that we live in now, maybe something was posted about you. And you believe it. You've internalized it. You know what's bizarre is we care deeply about what our enemies say about us. An enemy said something about you. You read something on your Facebook uh, page about an enemy and something crummy they said about you. And man, and you believe it for whatever reason? Could have been your spouse. Some of you have had some crummy spouses. And they've said things about you. And you believed them. Of course, the big one is your parents. You've heard what they've said about you and you've believed them. One of the things that always used to blow me away was when American Idol first came out, it's kind of a singing show for those of you who don't know, is you'd get these people up there and they would sing and they were horrible. They were just horrible. And, you know, Simon Cowell, who was one of the judges back then, would always have, you know, um, what does your mama think of your singing? Oh, she thinks I'm the best. See, and that person believed it. That child believed that they were a great singer and they were horrible. And so Simon Cowell had to be the bad guy and go, no, your mama lied to you. You're, you're, you're horrible. You need to go do something else with your life because you're not good at this. But here was a case where a parent was telling their child, you know, you're great, you're wonderful, you're great, you're wonderful. Now they're 18 or 19 years old and they're just horrible. And mom and dad never said, hey, look, you know, nothing wrong with singing, just do it in your room, man. <laughs> don't, 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 don't try to take it on the road. You, you know, you're, you're not gonna sell many CDs when it's all said and done, you know? <laughs> I remember as a kid uh, going to the Stanislaus County Fair in Turlock and I would go into the fun house. Some of you have been in the fun house. And in the fun house, they always had those crazy uh, mirrors that make you look big or skinny. That was the one everybody liked to be in front of. You know, man, I could take this mirror home, man. I look, I'm looking good here. They'd make you look short. They'd make you look super tall or whatever. They, they distorted the image of you. They disguised what you really looked like. They, they perverted what you actually look like. They made you look different than you really were. And unfortunately, some of you had some crummy parents or a crummy brother or sister, and they said things about you that just weren't true. And they distorted a view of you. They told you that you were stupid. They told you, you know, you were worthless. They told you you wouldn't add up too much. They told you that no one would ever love you. Maybe they told you that you were a mistake. By the way, I came up with that list just because I've had lots of people over the years make comments to me like that about them, something their parents said to them. 
And guess what? You believed them. You believed what they said. I mean, they're your parents. You're supposed to believe your parents, right? They're weighty people in your life, and they said just some really crummy you, you know, things about you. And you still believe these things are true. And here's the deal. They're not true, Christian. They're not true. But because you believe them, you have this distorted view of yourself. And as I said, today it's my prayer that as we walk through a, a couple of things, that you'd have a, a real biblical idea of who you really are. Now, why is this important? Well, we'll listen to what Proverbs chapter 23 says. The Bible says, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is, or for as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. What you think about you is important, it matters. Warren Worsby said this, you may not be able to see your thoughts or weigh your thoughts or measure your thoughts, but that doesn't mean they're not real and powerful. Some of you, I've brought back some really, really, really crummy memories for some of you. I have forced you a minute ago to think back to some things that were said about you that were really crummy. And here's the deal. They've been sitting in your mind for years and decades. And I'm glad I made you dig them up maybe for a second because we need to replace them with God's truth. This is the truth, right here. John Maxwell said this, what occupies your mind and what you think about means more than anything else in your life. Now, you know, John Maxwell isn't, uh, th that's not truth with a capital T. And I don't know whether it's truth with a small t, but I can tell you this, it's, that's worthy of at least thinking about. Dr. MacArthur said something similar. He said, spiritual stability is a result of how a person thinks. The Bible leaves no doubt that people's lives are the product of their thoughts. It's the product of what you have in here. And unfortunately, some of you came to faith in Christ a long time after you were adult and you still have all these really bad, crummy thoughts in your brain. Now, some of you grew up in beautiful Christian homes. Praise the Lord for that. And from an early age, your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa put truth into your mind. You went to a truth that taught you, you know, you went to a church that taught you truth. And man, what, what a beautiful testimony that is. And you need to thank the Lord for that. But a lot of people come to faith in Christ later on. And there's a lot of really just satanic thoughts that have been put into this amazing thing called our brains that we need to flush out every now and then. Look, what you fill your mind with matters. We've all heard that old saying, garbage in, garbage out. Robert's got it. It's absolutely true. 
We need to be careful what we fill our minds with because that which we fill our minds with will greatly determine what our lives are gonna be like in the future. Paul said this in Colossians chapter two, and he's talking to us, and he says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. In other words, you better be careful what you believed about some of the things your teachers or professors taught you or friends or enemies or maybe even your parents because they come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from the truth. All of us have the propensity to somehow be captured by thoughts and false truths. And we get them in our minds and they, 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 they have an impact on our lives, you see? And that's why it's so important that we know what the truth is, what God says about us. So let me fill your mind with, with, with two thoughts here, okay? Two, two thoughts. And I, I thought I was gonna go through like eight or nine of them. But frankly, I uh, just had a great time pondering these things. And I just couldn't get past just a few of them. And the first thing is this, God wants you to know that, that he, he chose you. He chose you. He didn't have to choose you, but he did. He chose you. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. You didn't choose me. Now, in American um, Christianity, um, we, 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 we kind of we, we give everybody the impression that we, we did choose him. And there are moments when we give people a chance to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit might be doing in their life. And, and so people say, I'm, I'm gonna give my life to Christ. I'm surrendering my life to you. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that verbiage. But the reality is, is this. <laughs> he chose you. He's the one who chose you. Peter said, God the Father knew you, and though he knew you, though he knew me, <laughs> he chose me. And he did it long ago, the Bible says. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. He knew you. He knew me. You know, uh, I've been talking with my staff about King David, and just it's been fun for me over the last few months just to look at his beautiful life. What a, what a great man. The, when you look at the people of Israel, the, 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 there was never a greater moment in Israel's history than when it was under uh, David's reign. 
It was the, you, you, you talk to any Jewish person today and they'll tell you, an Orthodox Jew will tell you, there was no greater king than David. He, under David's reign, that, that was the zenith of Israel. And it wasn't until his son Solomon takes over that it starts to, 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 to tank. David's this unbelievable man, unbelievable man. And yet, there's a famous story that we all know about him and a woman. David had uh, a really, he had a sexual appetite that was really crummy, really crummy. A lot of wives, a lot of concubines, just caused him a lot of pain and heartache too. But we all know the story of David and Bathsheba. And God chose David, even though God knew David was gonna struggle in the area of sexuality. Knew it. God chose Peter, and he knew that Peter was gonna deny him three times. And yet he said, I choose you, Peter. Now, he knows Peter is going to reject him. I choose you. I want you, Peter. He knew all about my sin. He knew all about the crummy things that I think about at times. He knows all about the crummy attitudes that I have at times. He knows all about the crummy things that I say at times. He knows all about my disobedience. He knows all about my failures and the, my crummy habits that I have and my hangups. He knows about all the times when I don't love the way he wants me to love. He knows about all the times when I don't show compassion the way he wants me to show compassion. He knows about all the times when I don't show mercy the way he wants me to show mercy. He knows about all the times when I don't uh, treat others the way I'd want to be treated. And yet God says, Rick, I want you, I choose you. Man, I know me. I wouldn't choose me. Is that crazy? Listen to what Psalms 33 says. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees every person. That's you. From his throne, he watches all who live on the earth. Oh, man. Isn't that, doesn't that make you a little uncomfortable? He made their hearts and he understands everything that they do. God's watching everything I do. He hears everything I say. He knows everything I think about. And yet he says, I choose you with all your junk, with all your sin, with all the stuff, 
shoo, shoo, come on. I want you. I remember talking to a guy a while back and for 20-something years, he was haunted with these memories of when he was in elementary school. He wasn't a very good athlete and he was always the last guy to be picked. Some people didn't even want him on their team, you know. And I remember uh, thinking back to my days at Fremont Elementary School, and I'll tell you one class I nailed, if they would have given out grades, man, for recess, I'll tell you what, I, I nailed it. Nobody could take advantage of recess like me, man. I didn't waste any time when it came to recess. And we'd go out, and kickball was big back then, and Two best people would start picking up teams. I'll take you, I'll take you, I'll take you. Remember these days? I'll take you, I'll take you. And then you always got down to the last one or two people. Nobody wanted them. Now you can have them both. I didn't want them. And then, you know what? You never let them kick. Some of you remember those days, don't you? Nobody wanted you. Crummy, how crummy is that? And yet, here we have the truth. God says, here's how this goes down. I take you, and you, and you, and you, and you, I pick you. And I'm not picking you, you know, you know someone's gotta hit, you know, someone's always gotta bat number nine, you know, play right field. You know what, there's no batting number nine when you're picked on the Lord's team. There's no hitting number nine. He just chooses us with all of the junk and the crud. And he says, I choose you. Now here's here's what you have to understand. And this takes it to a little deeper level, okay? Your salvation is no accident. God was the one who took the initiative to make you a part of his family. In other words, it was God's idea to save you. It wasn't your idea. It was God's idea. And I want you to know that this is a deep thought. This is the kind of truth you have to stop and and you have to to ponder long before you ever made a decision to give your life to Jesus Christ he already chose you now here's the deal can you explain that pastor I can't I just it makes my head boom it makes my head explode I, I I can't Oh, there are some preachers out there who can denominations have been started over this kind of stuff because nobody can handle this idea that, you know, we, we, get, we gotta get God in a box. We gotta be able to figure it all out. I can't figure it out. Yes, I know God gave you a free will and on some plane you made some choice and you gave your life to Christ. But you need to understand something. Before you ever gave your life to Christ, he had already chosen you. He already did it. And he knew what kind of life you were living. He knew what kind of life you were gonna live afterwards and he still wanted you. Man, 
I'm going to challenge you at the end of this message to, to spend some time this week just pondering this truth that you were chosen by God. He chose you. He said, I want you to be on my family, on my team, in my family. I want you. He wanted you. He wanted you. And it had nothing to do with us. God didn't look down from heaven and go, man, Rick Countryman, you're, you're such a beautiful guy, man. You're going you're gonna to make my life complete. I bring you into my family. Dude, I was, I was goofed up. He's a God of love. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. That's what he is. First Peter chapter one says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again. That's the, only, that's, that's the only reason why God made the choice to pick me. On some plane, I want you to know that teacher that I had was absolutely right. Apart from Christ, my life was probably going to be nothing. I wouldn't amount to much apart from Jesus Christ. But because he's this merciful God, this loving God, this God who's full of grace, he picked me. Titus chapter three says, he, that's God, saved us not because of the righteous things that we've done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sin, giving us a, a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit. Just had nothing to do with us. Nothing. Nothing. He just picked us. It's one of the reasons why we sing the songs we sing. Huh? Yeah. We give and we pray because of this God who saved us, who picked us, who chose us. Not because there was anything intrinsically good about us. Just simply because he did it. Nobody deserves to go to heaven. Nobody's good enough to be chosen by, by God. You get into God's family because God is loving and full of grace and he's merciful. The creator of the universe simply says, I'll take you. I want you. That's it. Now let me add another layer to this real quick. And, and I don't know, it blew my mind. I don't know what God will do with, in your brain, but I want you to listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter one. He said, even before he made the world, okay, that's God, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Once again, God's doing all the choosing. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ. Praise the Lord, right? And then you get this. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great 
pleasure. When, when God chose me, he was pumped about it. It gave him pleasure. It gave him pleasure to choose me. It gave him pleasure to know that my life would be redeemed because of what his son was going to accomplish at the cross. So it wasn't like, all right, I'll take, you know, Nancy Barron's, I guess. Gotta take her, you know. No way. Yes, take Nancy. Gordon, yes. Charlene, yeah. Charlene, I, I choose you. I mean, you get this idea that God's excited. It's bringing him pleasure to choose us, to be a part of his team. The Lord's getting pleasure out of this, choosing me. With all of my mess-ups and goof-ups and all of that, he knew it all. Yeah. Gave him pleasure to choose you. It's almost incomprehensible, isn't it? Paul says, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I don't get it. I just know that this is truth, beloved. And it doesn't matter whether I get it or not. The truth is, God chose me. And he chose you. Even though he knows everything about you. He knows all the crummy things you're gonna do today, crummy things you're gonna think today. It gave him pleasure to, 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 to choose you. The second thing is this, is God wants you to know that you're really valuable to him. Not only did he choose you, not only did he just bring him pleasure to do that, but, but you're valuable to God. Now there are two things that determine value in life, and you'll all understand this. Number one, value is determined by what somebody is willing to pay for something. For instance, we have a number of real estate agents in our midst here. I'm looking at a couple of them. And uh, the reality is, you know, how much is your house worth? It's worth whatever somebody's willing to pay for it. And I know from talking to a number of our real estate agents, you know, everybody thinks their home is, you know, the greatest home on the planet. And you put all your upgrades in it, you've done all the stuff, and you think it's worth, you know, 500,000. And they're thinking in their mind, no. No one is going to pay that. You may think it's worth that, but it ain't worth that. It's only worth what somebody is willing to pay for it. Uh, 
I just read, uh, or some of you just heard about this, these baseball cards that were found. And that these baseball cards are going to go for over a million dollars. Somebody is going to pay a million dollars. And some of you are thinking, man, I wouldn't give you 20 cents for a baseball card. I'd say, what will be a sad thing. Someone's going to buy those cards. And then someday they're going to be left to the grandkids as a, an inheritance. And one of those kids is going to do what I used to do with those cards and go out and clip it onto my bike. <laughs> that made, made an engine sound, you know. That's a million-dollar card sitting on the tire making a noise. and Unbelievable. How much is a piece of art worth? Well, it's worth whatever somebody's willing to pay for it. So the first thing that determines value is what someone's willing to pay for it. Number two, or the second thing that determines value is who, who's owned it? For example, a, a car that was previously owned by Elvis would be worth more than a car that's previously owned by me. Right? Makes sense. Uh, a guitar that was previously owned by, I don't know, John Lennon is going to be worth more than a guitar that was previously owned by Tim Miller. I read uh, where a guy spent $7,000 on an old, sweaty pair of tennis shoes because those tennis shoes used to belong to a guy by the name of Michael Jordan. And so it was worth it to him to spend that kind of money. So based on these two things, let's, let's try to calculate out our value, okay? How much are we worth? Well, what was God willing to pay for you? Because that determines value. <laughs> he gave up his son for you. There, there, there came this moment, and I don't know how it went down in the heavenlies, but the father looks to the son and says, son, long ago we chose these people to be a part of our forever family and sin has messed things up. You have to go. Become a man. Become nothing, Philippians says. And you have to go and humble yourself they're going to put you on a cross and you're going to die. You're going to shed your blood. God exchanged his own son for you. The, the, the cross tells you how valuable you are. The cross does. God was willing to give up his own child, if you will, for you. First Corinthians chapter seven says, God paid a high price for you. So, so, so don't get all goofed up in the world. Don't, don't do that. Just ponder that truth for a moment. It costs the father, his son, to free you from the bondage of sin. It's crazy. You've been bought and Paid for by Jesus Christ. Imagine what you might be worth. This past week, I Googled the uh, greatest ransom ever paid. 
And I found a bunch of them, but there was a family in Hong Kong, one of the richest families in Hong Kong, and some gangsters had uh, kidnapped their son. And they paid a $77 million ransom. $77 million. And they got their son back. They said they would have paid, you know, more. It didn't matter. Listen to these weighty words from Peter. He says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Because of sin, sin was just passed down from one generation to the next generation. We've just inherited this crummy thing from our ancestors. And the ransom that God paid was not mere gold or silver. It wasn't $77 million. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Wow, just imagine what you must be worth. Have you ever just stopped and pondered that? Or has life just become so busy that you don't stop and think about this unbelievable truth? So the first thing that determines value is what somebody is willing to pay for something and God paid a high price for you. Now, now the second thing, who, who owns you? Well, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter six, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. God bought you with a high price. You belong to him. Not only did he pay a ransom for you, the ransom of his son, but he now owns you. Peter says, but you are not like that for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And for those of us that have walked with the Lord a long time, you know, you gotta just stop for a second and just kind of remember these great truths. So how does God see you? What's the, the truth about you? Number one, God chose you, and number two, God places great value on you. You're valuable to him, really, really valuable. In fact, let's say these two things out loud together, okay? Number one, God chose me to be a part of his family. That was horrible, come on, come on, come on, come on. Get the coffee going, get, get, it, get, it, get it percolating through your system. Here we go. Number one, God chose me to be a part of his family. Number two, God places a high value on my life. Now, just real quick, what do you do with these two truths? What do you do with them? Here, here, let me give you a couple thoughts, okay? Number, number one, I, I said this earlier, I just want you to spend some time this next week, just pondering these two truths. Just thinking about them, maybe take your notes, maybe write them on a three by five card and just spend some time dwelling on them. The Bible says, and now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true. 
These are two truths. Honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Look, these are two things you ought to think about. I'm not asking you to uh, you know, think about 100 things this next week. I'm not challenging you to do that. I'm just challenging you to think about two things. Just two. Man, I was chosen by God. And I'm valuable to him. And the second thing I want you to do is this. Number two, live a life worthy of them. Paul said, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Dwell on these two things. Think about these two things. Meditate on these two biblical truths. Spend some time doing that and then live a life worthy of them. Now, no one's gonna live a perfect life. But certainly those two truths ought to motivate all of us who name the name of Christ to live a life worthy of them. And as I wrap it up, let me just say this. Some of you are here, maybe over in the venue, maybe you're watching online and you're thinking to yourself, you know, you, you don't know the Lord, you've never given your life to Christ or whatever, and you're thinking, well, are you saying that God didn't choose me? I don't know whether he chose you or not. I know for a lot of years, you know, I didn't even believe in God. Obviously, he chose me. There came a moment when I sensed him drawing me to himself and I surrendered my life over to him and at that moment I, I learned something. He chose me. But the reality is I don't know. I don't know whether he's chosen you or not. But this is a church that at least extends the invitation for you to give your life over to him. And almost every week here at Big Valley Grace, somebody gives their life to Christ. Somebody surrenders their life over to Jesus Christ. Somebody allows Jesus to become the CEO of their life. And at that moment, you know what they figure out? God chose them. Long before they were ever born. And you could go into the altar room here, the altar room over in the, the venue. You could call the church this week and say, hey, listen, I've never given my life over to Christ, but I sense something going on in my life. I sense the Lord might be doing something. I, 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 wanna, I wanna know more about what it means. Just go into the altar room. And at the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, a lot of cool things happen. Your sins are forgiven. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. You're gonna go to heaven. All those great things. But you know what you find out? You were chosen. That's what you find out. God chose you. He did a long time ago. I want you to stand up in here, stand up over in the venue. Father, thank you, Lord, for weekends. It's a special, unique time for believers where we gather and worship you and sing songs to you and give to you. And today we, we commissioned a bunch of teenagers and some adults. And wow, Lord, thank you, God. Thank you for these special moments, we, our church gatherings. 
I pray, Lord, that somehow these two simple truths would bounce around in all of our minds this week. May we just enjoy knowing these two things. And then, Lord, help us to live lives worthy of them. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you.